Welcome to Just Automated, the podcast where we talk about the hype on automation one podcast at a time, sponsored by Waylay. I'm your host, Lindsay Ouellette, and today we're talking with Rajesh Iyer. He is the VP and Global Head of AI and ML for Capgemini Financial Services. So to start off, Rajesh, could you tell us a bit about yourself? I'm Rajesh Iyer. I've been in the financial services industry for about 30 years now, and I've been at Capgemini for about five years. And the first seven years of my life, actually in the operations side of things, where I worked in claims and places like that on the insurance side, and the other 23 years has been mostly on the analytics side. So, you know, been with a lot of the big insurance companies and a lot of big banks trying to help them get the most out of their data. It's been a passion and it's been my job. So I've been fortunate and unfortunate uh, in a way. It's good to have your passion be your job, except that you don't know when your work ends and your life begins. So it's a little complicated because of that. I can definitely relate to that. It's great to be passionate about what you do, but you do need that work-life balance. And since you're so passionate about your work, I was wondering if you could share with us some of the projects you're currently working on. I think that in the financial services industry, especially lately, I mean, I can't speak about the entire breadth of my experience, but lately, I think that we tend to think of ourselves as technology companies, but I think that the better description is that we're mostly data companies that aren't de- doing as much with the data as we possibly can. So I think there's a difference between technology companies and the data companies in the sense that technology companies have a couple of different things going on. One is they have full stack engineers that are actually building end-to-end applications. And two is they have a high tolerance for failure in the sense that they have these full stack engineers that can actually do end-to-end things. And there's just thousands of those guys actually running around and, and working on different things that they're passionate about. So a lot of what happens at technology companies is actually the result of these thousands of guys doing these fashion projects. And some of them end up being really amazing things. And that's what sort of ends up being in the marketplace. I think we could, especially with some of the newest developments that we're seeing, like, can we actually emulate that full stack engineering on the enterprise side? I think we can because of some new platforms that are coming available and so on. So I'm I'm bullish on the idea that, you know, we can actually sort of become a technology company over the next few years or be like a technology company in the sense that we have lots of people doing end-to-end applications that are working on fashion use cases. So you say that you're not using the data as well as you could. I'm curious what you mean by that. I feel like there's a lot of potential there for what you could use this data for. So what do you mean by that? So if you really think about enterprise data, you know, 80% of that is unstructured, but if you actually look at the pipelines and enterprises, about 2% of that is unstructured. So that gives you like a little bit of an idea as to, you know, us not pulling all the value that we can out of all the data that we have. That wasn't as big a deal when we didn't have ways of actually working with unstructured data, but now there's actually, you know, generative AI and so on. There's also this idea on top of the generative AI, there's also this idea, it used to be we did data for AI, but now there's also AI for data. And I think we're not leveraging that enough to actually do things to organize data, clean data, join data, and all those kinds of things that all of a sudden make that data so much more powerful in terms of use cases that we're pursuing. So on both those fronts, data is available. It's in a lake house somewhere but it's not in a place, in a way, in a language, in a platform that developers can actually use to build end-to-end applications. That's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. 
So you talk about newer technologies like generative AI and automation. As you know, Waylay, we specialize in automation, which has a lot of ties to AI and machine learning and these other technologies. What type of emerging technologies are there in financial services and how do you see them being used? I think generative AI is, is like a game changer in the sense that it's actually going to drive a different kind of automation than what we've seen in the past. So in the past, what we used to have is what we'd call straight through processing. So there's some data that comes in and there's this automation slash AI system that works on it and gives you something. And then you're kind of stuck with it. You know, you either say, I like this and I'm going to approve this if you have a human in the loop. And we don't always have humans in the loop, but the maximum you could do is basically say, I either accept it or I reject it. But what's happening with this new generative AI world is that we're starting to see automation where it's more like what Microsoft calls a co-pilot. It's like a co-creator in the sense that there might be something initially that you ask the system to do and it punches out some information and you can say, hey, but I think you got this wrong, or can you give me more information? In the sense, you know, you can actually go back and forth a couple of times. You might be like 20% of the way to where you want to be with the first pass, but on the second or third pass, you might be like 80% or 90% of the way. So that's amazing in, in my in my, in my uh, estimation. There's also other things like hyper automation and so on. I think that early on, the idea was, can we actually go from manual to rules, to heuristics, to ML and so on. And I think that it's become such a different world now, because I don't think it's any, anything, it's not A or B, but it's A and B. So I think we need to bring all those things together. And that's where I think a platform like Waylay is powerful because it actually helps you build experience with no code that sort of is at the speed of business. And that's the difference between RPA and, and, and hyper automation is RPA transactions take several minutes. And with hyper automation, we're talking about basically transactional kind of speed. We're talking about milliseconds, microseconds, depending on what the use cases and so on. I think Waylay lets us sort of build these real-time applications to orchestrate native services without writing code that sort of combines the, the, the rules piece of it, plus the modeling piece of it, plus the heuristics piece of it, plus the human piece of it. It sort of helps you, it helps IT guys also will be, I think, greatly benefited because you see some productivity increases, but I think the, the real power is for the people that sort of understand the end-to-end -end process from a business standpoint to be able to create some of this stuff, at least the first pass without writing a whole lot of code. So I think that's a huge play because I, I think we're going to see less and less of just, you know, let's focus on ML. It's going to be like, let's actually bring rules and ML and, and everything into the solutions that we're building. That sounds like there's a lot going on in building this solution. And I know that there are some various uses for that particular solution. Recently, you participated in a panel discussion with Waylay about using hyper automation for fraud detection and prevention. Could you share with us your experience? I've been over the last 30 years on the sidelines, if not the forefront of what's happening with fraud technologies. And I've sort of seen the evolution of it. Everything used to be manual. And then we started having some kind of rules-based systems to make things simpler and to scale what we did with like fraud or the suspected fraud transactions. And then it went to heuristics. And then last few years, 
there's this whole excitement around what ML can do and how it can reduce false positives. And I think that over the last maybe 12 to 18 months, especially with large enterprises, this switch over to just ML or over-indexing an ML has, has proven to be not the right thing to do. It's very acutely apparent to me that what we need to do is actually go back and get the best of everything. So ML, absolutely. But then we need rules and, and, and we need uh, human intervention and all, all that kind of stuff to build an end-to-end process. To my way of thinking, I think that rather than saying I'm trying to use ML because that's the cool thing to do, I think what the better system would be is to actually have a very systematic bottoms-up approach where you actually say, look, I'm going to go into area where there's like some suspicion or some fraud use cases, like, I don't know, payments or whatever it is. And sort of clearly lay out what are the steps in the process that happens on, on payment processing or whatever it is. And then go down to each step and kind of understand, you know, is it a Gen AI application? But if the answer to that is if it's if it's not a Gen AI application, don't give up. It might be an AI application. If it's not AI, it might be a heuristic application. If it's not a heuristic application, maybe it's a rule application. And if it's not a rule application, build a beautiful experience for the user. Um, so if you actually do that in a very systematic way, you might have like a 15 step process, but then actually go and address the processes by all means, maybe kind of focus on the ones that are the least amount of investment and the most impact. So all that kind of makes sense. But initially, I think it makes sense to actually do a good review of the process and then go step by step and basically say, what are all the things that I can bring to each step? So even when I talk about a step, right, it might be more than ML or more than generative AI. So I think that it sort of makes sense to look at it from a, how do I help the user and how do I build a beautiful experience that takes away the work without really taking away all the control, right? I mean, I think that's what empowers the user. In many ways, I sort of worry about us building these things to actually take out labor. I think that's actually a secondary thing that we should be thinking about. The most important thing is to actually build a great experience where people feel like they're in control without actually asking them to do a lot of mundane things that machines can now take care of or AI can take care of or generative AI can take care of. Sounds like there's a lot of challenges involved with finding the right solution and also, as you say, making sure that labor isn't fully taken away. So I'm wondering what challenges and opportunities you see in technology in the finance industry in the next decade? That's a big question. <laughs> if it was, when you say, look, you want to enable a company to do the best with technology, you know, there's like four pieces to it. One is basically say, do I have the right target operating model? So it's kind of like, do I have the right people, process, and technology? And sort of related to that sort of business oriented is, do I have the right kind of use cases? Have I done the bottoms up analysis? And people come up with, and they're so proud sometimes that they have like 30 use cases or 40 use cases. But when you think about an enterprise, an enterprise is actually a, a very peculiar combination of a, some different kinds of technologies and processes on top of that. Most enterprises have some unique things that only they're doing. And they'll find a lot of opportunities. So there needs to be a very systematic way of getting to the use cases. So the first part of the enablement is actually have a target operating model that sort of makes sense. 
And two is have a very definitive structured process for actually working out what are the use cases, prioritizing the use cases and so on. The second piece is basically, can you actually build a, a way for people to experiment with technologies to some kind of experimental platform? And this is especially useful or needed for things like generative AI. People are always wanting to actually work with chat GPT and this thing and that thing. I think that rather than stop the use of it, is there a way to actually safely provide them a version of that within the enterprise? I think that's very important. So people can actually try out different kinds of use cases. And I think a similar story exists with Whaley as well. You know, there's a guy that's sort of dealing with like fraud on the floor. There's a gal that's dealing with fraud on the floor. They're not going to be able to actually fix the model and fix the system in a short amount of time, but they can actually build some experimental things with Waylake. So this experimentation platform is very important. So one is, you know, the target operating model plus use cases. The second one is the, the experimentation piece. The third one is basically internal developer platform. And that's where you sort of, I think, again, Waylay is very, very good at that in, in many situations, is it actually helps developers sort of provision infrastructure, provision native services, and stitch them together to actually form a solution without writing a lot of code at the speed of business, right? So how do you actually build that? And how do you actually deploy that? And how do you monitor that? We haven't really done that monitoring piece and so on with Waylay, but I can easily see a system where in Waylay you can actually build out this end-to-end -end application, right? So that's the internal developer platform. The last one is the data platform. And I think that it's a little bit like a band-aid that you need to rip off. A lot of enterprises have lots of pipelines that are actually moving data and legacy technology, it's technologies that aren't going to do well with if you want, for example, an ETL pipelines, the T part of it is a transformation. If you want that to be able to sort of deal with unstructured data and machine learning, most pipelines at most enterprises can't actually handle that. So there's some work that needs to happen in terms of actually just having clean data flow through the system to actually play with. So those are the four enablement things that I think that all enterprises need to get to is one is the target operating model plus use cases, two is the experiment platform, Three is the developer platform and four is the data platform. Sounds like there's quite a list of things for these enterprises to do over the next decade. And I think that that's something that each enterprise will have to figure out for themselves. But in the meantime, this brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to give Rajesh a huge thanks for his time and sharing his insights. And I invite the listeners to join us next week for another episode of Just Automate It.